Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday. We're one day closer to the weekend and a day closer to the season premiere of The Mandalorian. Hope everyone is excited for it tomorrow. Again, I'm going to be having my recap of The Mandalorian season premiere and subsequent episodes to follow every single Friday afternoon where I'll be giving kind of my insight into what I think about the episode and looking forward to the week after. So really, it's it's starting to ramp up once again. The 2020 hopefully ends out on a high note with entertainment with The Mandalorian and a lot of other things to look forward to. And there's some things to look forward to on the show today. I'm going to be giving my second half review of the last few episodes of The Queen's Gambit. It's a really good show. I'm going to be talking about it later on. James Gunn offered up insight into his relationship with both DC and Marvel, directing both Guardians 3 and The Suicide Squad and everything that kind of unfolded after the drama from being fired from Disney in 2018 and a little bit more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is the trailer for the pandemic film Songbird. And yesterday we got the first images, first poster, and really the first details about this film that is going to really be well known for being the first film shot during the pandemic in terms of production. They had to follow COVID-19 guidelines, social distancing, creating certain pods. That is really what is the highlight of this movie. But of course, when you're watching a film, you want it to be known for the story. And in this one, it takes place in 2022, years after COVID-19 has taken over the United States and it's transformed and mutated to COVID-23. And it's a, a, a tale about these two people who find love during this pandemic but can't really see each other because of social distancing. KJ Apa, Sophia Carson are the main stars and play those two people. KJ Apa's character is immune to the virus while Sophia Carson's character isn't. And something happens within her apartment where it seems like someone she knows becomes infected and the government has to come in and basically evict everyone from there, place them in quarantine and lockdown camps. And KJ Apa looks to rescue her from that the clutches. And I was... From hearing the premise about all this, it's also directed by Adam Mason, who this is really kind of his first major film, and it's produced by STX, it's produced by Michael Bay, and I was intrigued when I heard the details about this, kind of this pandemic film, a thriller, I really like the leads and, and the cast where you have Craig Robinson, Bradley Whitford, Alexandria Daddario, Paul Walter Hauser, Demi Moore. It's really a B, B-level movie with an A-list cast attached to it and, and an A-list producer attached in the form of Michael Bay. And seeing the pictures, hearing the details, I was intrigued by it. However, watching this trailer, it it really is insensitive to the times that we're living in. I didn't. If anything, I got really, really detached from watching this trailer, where it just it hit too close to home. And I'm somebody who isn't really affected by the coronavirus, as say some people that have lost loved ones to this pandemic. And I think if you if it hits me in a way that. I don't know anybody that I have lost or have been affected by COVID. I can't imagine how some other people are going to feel about this as well. I just think 
it's very, very insensitive. And it really, it feels like a mixture of a, again, kind of like a contagion meets the purge in a way. And I, I think if, if we didn't have a pandemic going on, I think, again, this would be something you put out maybe in the spring or in the middle of July, maybe. And it, it, it would, again, be an A-list cast in a B-level movie. But again, I just think it's very, very insensitive to the times we live in right now. I don't think this is going to go over well on social media, in the press, really anywhere. And I can't fault the cast for doing this because on paper, you're the first COVID or you're the first production to go into production during the lockdown, during the pandemic. Just that storyline itself is intriguing. How do you, how are productions going to look after COVID-19 and and look during it when we're still in the midst of a pandemic right now encased in these bubbles? But I think an actual storyline involving the coronavirus and the pandemic, it, it's just, it hits really, really way too close to home right now. And I don't think it's going to work. It, it seems like this is coming out in 2021. It seems like it's going to hit theater. I, I don't know where this film goes for here from here because I do think it's going to get a really widespread negative reaction to again because of the pandemic and again it the action it looks cool yeah it looks like a cool race against time thriller but again because of the subject matter that it is involved in the background of what this storyline is going forth with it's not a really good look so i I don't think this is going to really pan out well for everybody involved the cast and the crew and i don't think it was their intention to make something like this to rub it in people's faces or anything like that i i don't think that's really going to be what the end game was for them but i think that's what it's going to be really perceived as i've already been hearing that from some people that i know that have watched the trailer that just don't think it's good for the times and from hearing from them and from what i'm hearing from social media it's it's not a a good reaction from the actual performances i think sophia carson is very interesting i think this is really her most dramatic role to date she's been again in a lot of kid family films and television shows like the descendants franchise on disney or she was on in a netflix film earlier this summer so this is really kind of her first meaty role that she's really getting that's an amazing not in a not in a major motion picture but in a movie that's going to be featured on the big screen same thing for kj appa and again i mean you have Bradley Whitford, who is an acclaimed actor. Alexandria Daddario is somebody who's no joke, who is a really good performer. Paul Walter Hauser is somebody who is 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 kind of ascending in our eyes after Richard Jewell and being in Cobra Kai. And Demi Moore is somebody who's, you know, still around right now. And she's not somebody who brings in box office, and she's not the way she was in the 90s. But, you know, she has that name value of being Demi Moore. So it, it's an A-list cast, but I just don't think this is really going to roll all that well. And again, this is something that I was intrigued in when I heard the premise in terms of kind of like a race against time kind of thing. I didn't really think they would go so full into the COVID 
era of things in terms of like really hammering home that this takes place in 2022. It's COVID 2023. The thing has mutated. It just it it just hits a little little too close to home, and it really detracted me away from it. And again, I think for people that have been really affected by COVID-19 who have had it and who have had loved ones that have been suffering from it and have lost their lives because of this virus, I don't think this is going to sit very well. And and I think this could backfire on STX and on everybody. And again, I don't think it was really their intention to make this, to rub it in people's faces. I don't think that was the case at all, but I just think a lot of pandemic movies, movies that involve themselves with viruses and race against time to find a cure, to save the town, like an outbreak or a contagion, I don't think those movies are going to be made for the foreseeable future because we're really living it right now with masks and social distancing and and not being able to go places that we can go to right now. And it's just businesses losing and closing down and people losing their lives. It's just not a great look right now. And I think this is just going to add, as my friend said when I was talking to him about this, it's really just going to add fuel to the fire in a very negative way. So I think this was a miss for STX. I think this was a miss for Alan Adam Mason, for Michael Bay. It, it, this is not gonna. This is not a good look. And I, I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know if they're gonna take this. The reactions that are gonna come out of this all that well. So I think this is a little bit more up in the air. Whether they knew this was probably gonna be the case, and that's why they don't have a release date for this. It, it's just coming soon. They don't say coming soon to theaters. They don't say coming soon to V. It's just coming soon. So maybe they realize that this is this has to brush over a little bit more before we put this out there. But I, I don't know how this is going to be perceived. I don't know what they're going to do with this movie. And I think the negative reactions are going to have them making some last minute decisions on things. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think this is a miss for them. I think this is a miss overall. And for something that I was intrigued by, uh, I'm not so intrigued by it anymore. And I think Songbird was a big miss. And we'll see what happens with it in the future after the reactions come out for this trailer. If you guys have seen the the, the trailer for Songboard, let me know what you thought about it. Did you like it for what it was, even if it had the similarities and the exact similarities to what we're dealing with right now in the pandemic? Did you not like it? Did you think it was dis- distasteful? Let me know your comments down below. I would really like to know what you think about it and leave your thoughts. Moving away from Songbird and talking about James Gunn, I want to move over to some lighter news, talking about a really, really feel-good story about this incredible director who uh, two, three years ago kind of lost in a big battle where James Gunn credited for kind of breathing new life into the MCU, breathing new life into the kind of the space adventure, kicking off some incredible careers in Dave Bautista, Chris Pratt, and and really kind of bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy to life. And he was such an acclaimed director. He did such a great job. And then all of a sudden, because of tweets that came out that were made years and years and years ago, before he really became well-known after Guardians in 2014, resurfaced and he was let go, fired by Disney, and not allowed to make Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He had finished the script for that movie, 
and he wasn't allowed to come back for it. And then he was picked up by DC to do the Suicide Squad because even though he came out with those tweets, it, they were very old. And, and if you know James Gunn, he is such a great director that anybody was really willing to work with him and give him carpe blanche for whatever he wanted to do next from a plethora of other studios. And Warner Brothers DC picked him up and, and he wanted to work on a superhero film again, a comic book film. And he decided to do his own take on the Suicide Squad. And this past week, Empire has put out their first look and really kind of the first details of behind the scenes details of James Gunn's Suicide Squad. And one of the things he talks about is coming back to Marvel and working with DC because I think it was about a year or so after everything kind of happened, he was in talks to do the Suicide Squad. He came back, reunited with Marvel and DC. They made up Alan Horn, who's the chairman of the film division, fired him initially, but then reversed course, had a change of heart, and they were able to amend all the bridges, and he was back directing Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And in this Empire magazine, James Gunn talks about how right after he agreed to do the Suicide Squad, he went to Disney once again, and the day after he got the Suicide Squad gig, a day later, he got Guardians of the Galaxy 3 back into his, his arms once again. And he he talks about that in the Empire magazine, and this is what he had to say in specific detail. The filmmaker reflected on reconnecting with Disney and Marvel. It is ultimately a happy ending with Gunn set to finish the Suicide Squad before blasting back to the Guardians, though it did lead to some awkward conversations with his former studio. It was a happy ending, but it was also scary because I actually got the call from Alan Horn long before it was announced, and it happened literally the day after I agreed to do the Suicide Squad. After hearing from Horn, James Gunn knew he had to update MCU head honcho Kevin Feige on his next project, who, when it was told, was a DC movie movie asked, is it Superman? Gunn stated it wasn't Superman. That was a possibility, he tells Empire, and he explained that he had chosen the Suicide Squad. Feige's reaction, please, please make a good movie. Just make a great movie. While Marvel and DC have always been rivals, the big two in the comic book industry, Gunn hadn't had to keep his latest project secret from his friends at the MCU. Kevin knew all those characters were for months before it was revealed at DC Fandom. He says he still knows who the villain is. I think he's pretty trustworthy with his NDA. So James Gunn kind of having a little fun with Kevin Feige as Marvel Studios in the MCU is, is always known with their cast members that they kind of have to keep a lid on everything that they are working on because they don't want any spoilers coming out when they're on set or when they go on interviews and people ask them. They basically have to keep their lips sealed off and tight. And it, that was very, very prevalent when the, the marketing campaign was going for both Infinity War and Endgame in 2018 and 2019. But really, the, I think the big moral of the story when it comes to this news is, as I've said previously, James Gunn, I think, has become the embodiment that even though fans always go back and forth between DC and Marvel and Marvel's better than DC, no DC is better than Marvel. And it's basically like this own civil war within the comic book community. It, you can you can love it all. And this story is an, is an example of that where you have this acclaimed director who has love for the Guardians of the Galaxy, but also has love for the Suicide Squad. And, and you're seeing that stamp of love, what he did in 2014, what he did in 2017, what he's going to do with the third installment, and what we're going to see next year with the Suicide Squad. And that he whatever he sinks his teeth into, it's with 
in an unfreveled passion where you cannot doubt that this guy has a love for what he does. And when he gets involved into a project, it's just let him run with it. And for what we also also talk about, you know, the DCU and the MCU. And again, that civil war within the, the, the comic book community, within the fandom community. Again, James Gunn talks about it where Kevin Feige was happy that James Gunn got the, the, the Suicide Squad job. And he just said, listen, man, do you. And Kevin Feige was the one who found James Gunn because before Guardians of the Galaxy, people were wondering, well, where did this hire come from? And, and James Gunn, why why James Gunn? Well, what is he going to do? He's never done a big project before. And lo and behold, Guardians of the Galaxy became a landmark film for comic books and for the MCU. And I think for Kevin Feige, if James Gunn can go over to do the Suicide Squad and any other project, it kind of shows validity to the MCU and to Marvel Studios that they find these diamonds in the rough, like a Taika Waititi or what they're looking to do probably with Nia DaCosta or Chloe Zhao, who's already proving it with all the critical praise she's getting for her latest project with Nomadland. So I think for Feige, he's just looking for James Gunn to be a great director that he knows him to be. And again, even for Kevin Feige, it shows that he's a fan of every, of, of all things. Even though he's a creative head at Marvel, he loves DC stuff as well. And, and again, it's just having a love for everything. And people always think it's the Civil War what's better, what's worse. And people like myself, pundits, we always put poil, not poil, put fuel into that fire. But we we know that overall, as long as we get great stuff from both companies, that's really the thing that matters the most. And I think this story is worthy of that. And also for James Gunn, again, it's, it's a happy ending for him because it, he gets his baby back with Guardians after kind of being screwed over with everything that happened with his tweets. Alan Horn redeemed himself. And again, also, he gets uh, to work with another major franchise because also the big thing is, is that for actors and directors, again, even though there shouldn't really be this infighting, people are always wondering, should I work with DC or should I work with Marvel? And if I work with one, can I not work with the other? So there's always this kind of flip-flop between the two of them. And I think James Gunn, again, is more proof of that. And for him to kind of gain both of these major projects with these major casts, major budgets, it's just a great director story. And for anybody looking to be a director who is, is great at their craft, who's passionate about what they do, they can end up like him and do these kind of big movies for everybody, not just for one side or the other. So I think this is a really a kind of a feel-good story. It just kind of continues for him. And I think we're going to kind of, kind of see him really show people what he loves and and what he really is all about when the handcuffs come off because with with guardians even though he did a great job with that film it's still pg-13 and it's sounding more and more like the suicide squad is going to go a little bit more on the r side than the pg-13 side so James Gunn said he had Carbite Blanche with Suicide Squad, and people have been saying that this is kind of the James Gunn, the untamed version of James Gunn, where he's just able to go crazy, and it seems like he's able to do that with the the characters that he's established in this film, the the, the comedy mixed with the action and the humor, which just seems like it's going to be blood and gore and a mixture of a comic book film with the 70s action war film. It seems like it has all that and so much more, and I'm really, really excited to see what he's able 
able to do with this movie going forward and really with his career. So I'm happy for James Gunn and I'm excited to see what he does with Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 whenever that movie does come out in the future. What do you guys think about this news regarding James Gunn and the Suicide Squad? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And that'll be it for the movie news stuff that I wanted to get out of the way on the Sam Bissell podcast. And the next thing that I do want to talk about is my second half review of the what seems like hit Netflix limited series, The Queen's Gambit, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. And it's based off of the book, The Queen's Gambit. And basically, it is about the the rise of Beth Harmon as a chess player becoming the greatest in the world. And I, I said it in my first review, talking about the first four episodes, that I really liked where the story was going. I love the establishment of Beth Harmon, the, the introduction to a lot of the characters that we get to know that have a bigger meaning towards the tail end of the show and establishing the, the passion of chess and really... I think opening a lot of people's eyes who watch the show to the intricacies and the complexities of chess and making you kind of kind of hooked into it and wanting to learn more about chess and watching the the last three episodes episode five through seven and looking at the the show as a whole it's incredible i I love the show from beginning to end it tells one cohesive story from the first episode to the last everything wraps itself up it's a self-contained story and basically it felt like i was watching a sports movie like a 4v ferrari told in seven parts in seven hours instead of two and a half hours or a two-hour movie and I loved it I thought we got great complexity from Beth Harmon who is dealing with anxiety who's dealing with loss who's dealing with a traumatic past and fueling that with with alcohol and 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 pills and which she thinks helps her and her dependence on playing the game of chess and kind of seeing where it all kind of ends up in the last episode is absolutely incredible and 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 heartbreaking but heartwarming and also the the friends that are established and kind of the family that Beth Harmon creates for herself because in the beginning of the show she's an orphan who lost her mother and to kind of see the family that she adopts the surrogate family is absolutely incredible and you don't have to be alone to to have success you you can have friends down the line who are there to support you through thick and thin and I just thought it, it was an incredible human story and also again a testament to the fact that kind of like what Ford v Ferrari did for me last year where that was and it still is my second favorite film of 2019 I love that film it made me interested in the world of of race car driving and again I'm not somebody who watches NASCAR and uh, and a lot of the other races and the, the championship races but kind of following the 66 Le Mans and being in invested in the characters and in the storyline, but also the way that the the car races were shot really got me enveloped into the world of sports of sports car racing. And the same thing is it can be attributed to what Queen's Gambit does with chess, where for me, I don't follow chess at all. I know about chess. I know about the pieces, but I don't know the championships. I don't know players. I don't know the world of it. And this show gets me just kind of soaked into this world of chess and every time 
Beth is playing an opponent, you're kind of watching it with an intensity of, of how she's going to win, how does she win, and how does she see the board, and and the, the, the different strategies that they utilize, and you become hooked onto it. And it's a testament to, again, the story, the characters, and the way that they film these chess matches. It's like filming kind of these intense kind of mind battles that are going on. And I, I just think it, it was incredible and suspenseful. And it's a testament to the directing of this show, which was absolutely amazing. And I tip my hat off also to the cast, who was just incredible. And of course, I have to start off with Anya Taylor-Joy, who I said in a tweet reviewing The Queen's Gambit, she is a superstar on the rise. I mean, the reason I really wanted to watch the show from the beginning was because I knew Anya Taylor-Joy was going to be in this and I loved her in Emma. I loved her in in Split, in Glass. She had a really good role in that as well. And of course, I didn't see New Mutants yet, but I know one of the positive things that come out of that was the cast. And specifically, her performance got really good reviews. So she's somebody who is going to be a superstar in this industry. I think she has Emmy nominations in her future, uh, Oscar nominations. She's going to be taking over for Feriosa. That's really going to, I think catapult her into superstardom where she can become an A-list star in the future. So I think this is her best performance to date. Emma was a really good performance and she elevated that film, but she really carried this from beginning to end. You're following this character from the first episode to the last episode, and it really is a credit to her performance and also the performance of her supporting cast as well, specifically Thomas Brody Sangster, who plays one of her opponent's friends in Benny Watts, and also Harry Menling, who plays Harry Beltic. And Harry Menling is from the Harry Potter franchise, and he has a really good relationship with Beth as well. And I think they bring another side of the equation that attributes to Beth's journey of what happens after you're done with chess? What happens when you do become the greatest? What what do you live for afterwards? Who do you, who are you with? And I think they're a reflection of where Beth could go or and what Beth could become or really the, the strengths that they can attribute themselves to helping Beth on her journey. And they just bring incredible performances from beginning to end. And I just think this is a well-rounded show overall. And one of the reasons why I do love limited series is so much like a Watchmen, even though in the beginning that was just, that was supposed to be a continuated series. It just ended up being one season but something like that, something like a, a Chernobyl, I just love the way that you tell one story from beginning to end and not having to worry about something afterwards. You get everything in seven, eight, nine episodes, or even four episodes, like or five, four or five, like like Chernobyl was, and it tells this one cohesive story. And again, I'm not kidding. It felt like a, a movie watching The Queen's Gambit. Everything reconnected itself by the six, seven episode. Everything that you learned about in the first like three episodes were coming back in, in the last two. And, and, it's, and it's emotional. It's incredible. The cinematography is gorgeous. 
that the 60s aesthetics is is incredible and sometimes it's not as realistic the 60s as it definitely was it doesn't really portray it as maybe the 60s 60s that people know which i think is good to kind of have like a fantasy land 60s era where everyone is kind of playing nice with one another so i didn't mind that and the 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 sexism isn't really dialed up to a 10 and that's the one thing i really like about this where in as the the show progresses everyone respects beth it's not like really where it's she wins and everyone spites or everyone starts to grow to have an appreciation a respect for the talent that she is and that she really could be the greatest chess player of all time and i think that it, that was really something nice to see in this show that i haven't really seen when it comes to something like this where people feel threatened they look to crush their opponent but with when it comes to benny watts when it comes to harry beltic they they lift up beth in the end and i think that is i'm, I'm i was really happy about that and one of the reasons why i think harry melling and, and thomas brody, brody sangster do a really good job with their performances but it's all anchored by Anya Taylor-Joy, who just, again, crushes it. I really, I really, really, really recommend this show. Again, seven episodes. You could probably bang it out on a weekend. Be middle, or not really middle, but a beginning, middle, and end of a story. I don't think there needs to be a season two. Really, the re- only reason I would want a season two is because these characters are so good that I would want them back for another round. But... I don't need another season, I think. You can just have this one season, appreciate it, love for what the story is, and move on and just recognize the greatness for what this show is. So Queen's Gambit, highly recommended. You can check it out. It's on Netflix. If you do have the, the streaming service, highly recommend checking it out. It's number one in the United States. Last time I checked last night, that it, it's like the number one highest rated television show. It seems like people are watching this, hearing the reviews for it. So I'm one of those people that is going to jump on the Queen's Bandit train and say again, I recommend it. What did you guys think about the Queen's Gambit? If you have seen it, if you haven't seen it, are you going to check it out? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the last thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast is my annual Throwback Thursday review. And because tis the season, we're a few days away from the holiday, I wanted to talk about the Halloween film, Halloween, directed by John Carpenter and starring the one and only Jamie Lee Curtis. And for many people, Halloween is one of the greatest films of all time. It is certainly one of the one of the great, if not the greatest horror film of all time. And I love Halloween. It is even to this day, it still holds up for the scares that it instills. And it's not something that is really gory. It's not really it's slasher, but it's not gory slasher. It's it's more intense. It's more build up in anticipation. And before I even continue to go on my, with my review of it, the basic premise of, of this is that uh, a man in an insane asylum breaks out and goes back to his hometown to terrorize the people living there on the night of Halloween. And basically, one, a babysitter played by Jamie Lee Curtis gets enveloped in this killer's track of of terror that he's looking to instill in the night and again it's a credit to jamie lee curtis it's also a credit to john carpenter who was really a master of horror 
along with people like a Wes Craven and really kind of delivering, again, anticipation and thrills and chills in the sense that horror is really built up in suspense. Horror isn't really built up in the blood and the gores. That's really what it's become accustomed to these days. But I think it's kind of getting back to a level where, where it used to be in developing up suspense. And that's where people are the most fidgety, where they don't know what's going to happen. It's about those long pauses. And that's what Halloween does so well, is that it kind of throws you off of where things are going to come at you from. And you don't know where Michael Myers is going to really jump out at you. And talking about Michael Myers... Halloween developed one of the great villains in cinema history with Michael Myers, somebody who doesn't really have a personality, hides behind a mask, and just is looking to kill. It's not about emotions. It's not about personality. Why are you doing this? It's just a machine that you cannot stop. And that's one of the most terrifying things is you can't reason with this person. You can't justify what he's doing, but you can just try to stop him in any way possible. And I think that is what makes this film so terrorizing and one of the films to to always watch during the Halloween season. And because it's around the Halloween time, I think it's perfect for people to kind of watch and, and enjoy and just have fun with. And again, because of the times that we live in right now, I think Halloween can act as a little bit of a determinant for people and kind of an escapism in a way of enjoying a normal Halloween, even though it's a slasher movie, just kind of enjoy it and, and have fun with it and watch it for a date night as date nights usually involve horror films sometimes or watch it with your group of friends ladies or guys and and i think enjoy this movie i think it's for everybody i think jamie lee curtis became a star out of this so did john carpenter and other than the 2018 halloween film nothing else competes with this movie in terms of the franchise it spawned like 11 12 sequels from it including the halloween 2018 one and again they haven't been able to recapture the magic of the first film. Again, the only one that came close to it was the reboot in 2018, but that's really pretty much it. Everything else was is kind of a determinant for what made this first film so special in so many people's eyes. And again, even though it came out in 78, it still holds up to this very day in 2020. So again, I highly recommend checking out Halloween, When You Can, directed by John Carpenter, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. It's only a few days away from Halloween, so I think it's the perfect time to watch this film. And with that, everyone, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media when you can. You can find me on Twitter at Samuel. that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L. 
S-A-M-U-E-L. Again, it's B-U-S-S-E-L-L, S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, thank you again so much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.